Alright, how's everyone doing this morning? My name's Keegan, and since August, I've been an intern under Pastor Drew with Emanate. And, uh, didn't know I was gonna. So, I get the honor and privilege of reading the scripture today. So, if everyone could please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he, Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Um, Just to be able to grow in you, God. I just pray you would open up our ears this morning. That we'd be able to just learn something new about your character and about who you are, God as uh, Pastor Walt comes up and just brings a message to us. And just, again, thank you for another day to come and worship you together. You may pray. Amen. Amen. Over the past three weeks, we've been uh, looking at a sermon that Jesus preached. Oftentimes, it's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Not the airplane, but the... Yeah, the plateau of the mountain, uh, depending on whether you're reading from Matthew or from Luke. And uh, we've, had, uh, we've had some great uh, team preaching the last couple weeks. Uh, I want to thank Terry Brown for bringing such a powerful and personal word a few weeks ago about loving our enemies. And I want to thank Carrie for last week of just such a, pa- a powerful and practical word on, on just what this what this looks like to to live out these words that Jesus preached in this sermon, and so here we are today. He's he's finished preaching the sermon. Amen. He leaves the church, if you will, and now he begins to demonstrate the kingdom. He begins to say, "This is what it looks like to live out what I just preached." And the first thing he does is he takes on a dying man. Now, I don't know if that's that I would do that, you know, after my sermon, you know. Let's go find somebody who's dying. Or in the next story, let's go find somebody who's already dead. But Jesus t- takes on the dying and he takes on the dead right after he's finished preaching this sermon. He just goes right to it. And he goes right to the hand. This is why I've come. I have come to bring life to the dying. I've come to bring life to those who are dead. And he just goes for it. And, and I love this story. And here you have this, this centurion who has this, this servant or this slave who is dying and, and, and his one request is that Jesus would come and Jesus would heal his dying servant. 
And uh, I want to ask you this morning, if you could ask Jesus for one thing, what would that one thing be? If you could ask Jesus for one thing this morning, what would that one thing be? For this centurion, it was somebody close to him that was dying. He cared much about this man. What do you care about that you need Jesus to care about in your life? What's the one thing that you would ask him to do? I want you to think about that because we're going to come back to that later at the end of the message. And I want to answer the question this morning. um, And the question is this, what moves God? What moves him to act? And I believe these two passages we're going to look at today, they, they really help us understand what moves the heart of God. So think about it for a moment. You have a request. Everybody here, what's that one thing you would ask God for, right? Why would God answer that prayer? Why did he answer the prayer of this centurion? Why would he answer your prayer today? What would move God to hear and answer and act on your behalf? What would it be? What was it for the centurion? Was it this man's background? Was it his position? Was it his title? Was it his authority? What was it about this centurion? He was an amazing guy. Uh, A centurion is is an officer, a military officer, a Roman officer who's over 100 men, man of authority. And uh, of course, he's a Roman. He's from Rome. So that means he's a Gentile and he's not a Jew, right? And uh, back then, the, the Jews had a, uh, in, in a term of endearment for the Gentiles. You know what that term of endearment was? They called, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. Dogs. Now, in our day, um, we love dogs, don't we? How many dog lovers out there today, right? Right? I mean, a dog is a, is a man's best friend, a woman's best friend, right? I mean, we love our pets. Well, back in that day, dogs were not pets. Dogs were scavengers. Dogs would, would be at the, at, at the city trash heap, the, the, the city dump, scavenging for food. That's where dogs belonged in that day. And, and Jews called the Gentiles dogs, and they said that they were useless except to fuel the fires of hell. That's the only thing Gentiles were good for in the mind of a good Jew. In other words... Their, their thoughts towards the Gentiles was this, go to hell or to hell with you, right? That was their attitude toward that race, okay? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? I, I, did, I, did I wake you up this morning? All right? This was their attitude towards the Gentiles. And, and here in this passage, Jesus goes to the doghouse, He's on his way to this dog's house, this Gentile's home, right? He's responding to this man. Why? Is it because of this man's background? Is it because of his race? Is it because of the color of his skin that Jesus is moved to go? No, it's not. It's because your background doesn't move God. Where you've come from doesn't move him. Where your citizenship is from, it doesn't move God. What your background is, your skin color, your race, it doesn't move God. God is not moved by your background. That's a good thing this morning. Scripture says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. God's not moved by your gender. He's not moved by those things that move us. So then what moves God? 
If our background doesn't move God, then what moves him? It must have been this man's deeds because this man had done some incredible deeds. This man used his authority to serve those who were underneath him. To begin with, um, the story tells us that uh, this centurion, he had a slave. He had a servant in his home. And he loved this slave. He loved this servant. And uh, we know that this servant became ill and he came ill to the point of death. Um, And he loved this man, which is very unusual. Because in that day and in that age, Rome had like 60 million slaves. It was known for slaves. I mean, 60 million slaves in Rome. And so if you were a, a Roman and if you were an officer and you had a slave and he became ill, you'd just take him out behind the shed and you'd put him out of his misery and you'd go out and you'd buy another slave. That's what you did. Slaves were treated like possessions, not like sons. But this centurion, he treated the slave like a son, dearly loved. The one request that he had for Jesus, he heard about this prophet. He heard about the healings. He heard about what Jesus was doing. And he goes, if I have one request, it's for this slave living in my house. This man is an unusual man. He's an unusual man. And. Another thing that makes him unusual is uh, how he treated the Jews that he was governing over. The very people that he was governing over looked at him as a dog. To hell with you, they would say. That's where you belong. That's where your race belongs in hell, because we're the privileged people. We're the ones who've got it right. We're the ones favored of God to hell with you, Gentiles, to hell with you, centurion. And what does this man do? He loves those who hate him instead of returning hate for hate. He he loves them. And it's interesting how they began to see how this man loved them, even though they had this attitude toward him and And the Jewish leaders, they went to Jesus and they said, you have to come and heal this man's servant because you need to know what this man has done for us. He says, this man loves our nation. He loves our people. And he's used his authority to build something that's very important to us. This Gentile built our Jewish synagogue. He's worthy, Jesus, for you to come. Right? That's... That's what these uh, Jewish leaders thought. They thought Jesus will certainly become because this Gentile has proved himself worthy for God to come to him. So, Jesus, you've got to come, right? So he deserves special treatment, doesn't he? Because of this deed that he did. Can I tell you this morning that religious people are always trying to move God with their performance? Always trying to move God with their performance. Look, God, look at me. Look what I have done. God, surely you will bless me. Surely you will answer this prayer. Right? God, look at me. I tithe and I pray. And I fast. And I serve you faithfully all of my life. And I even cross racial barriers. Right? I'm not a racist. I cross racial barriers and I bless those that curse me. Surely, God, you will bless me in return. I deserve to have you come to me. If that is your approach to God, then you would make a great Muslim and a lousy Christian. Because God is not moved by your background and he's not moved by your works. But many religions today, they believe that they can move God Because of their background, because of their race, because of what they bring to the table. 
And even these Jewish leaders thought so. Oh, Jesus, you have to come. He's worthy for you to come to him. And God says, your works don't move me. Your deeds don't move me. Your righteousness are like your righteousness is like filthy rags to me. Why do you offer me your righteousness? I've got enough of my own. I don't need your filthy rags. That's God's attitude towards the best you can offer him. In God's kingdom, your works mean nothing. At one point, Jesus was talking to religious people and he said, you know what? The prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. What have they done to be worthy for me to come to them? Nothing. You can't bring nothing to God. You can't bring anything to God except what this centurion brought. He brought his humility and he brought his faith. And God says, the only way that you will move me is through your humility and through your faith, not through your works and not through your background. Can you say amen? Amen. All who call on his name shall be saved. All, everyone. God says, it's your humility that moves me. When the centurion discovers what these Jewish elders had said about him, and they had said, he's worthy for you to come. The centurion shakes his head and goes, oh, I knew they'd screw this thing up. So he goes to one of his friends. He goes, you know what? The the Jewish leaders think I'm worthy. I'm not worthy. I want you to go tell Jesus. Hey, tell him um, this man. Tell him that I said, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. Just say the word. That's all you need to do. Just say the word and, and, and my servant will be healed. That's what humility says. I am not worthy for you to come. You see, when we bring our resumes and our pedigrees before God, he is, he is not impressed. He is not impressed with your titles. He's not impressed with your education. He's not impressed with your serving. He's not impressed with your good deeds. None of that stuff impresses God. None of that moves God. What moves God is your humility and your faith. When people come to me and they say, oh, pastor, you know, you, you know, you're a great pastor. And, you know, every once in a while I hear that. (laughs) Uh, You know, I really respect your spiritual authority. And, you know, people have different reasons to come and say that. And and by the way, I um, am short this month on my rent. You know, can you help me out a little bit? And, uh. You know, and I and I always say, you know what, I'm just a turtle on a fence post. And I'm a good old country boy. And I remember, you know, if you ever saw a turtle on a fence post, you knew that turtle didn't get up there on its own. Somebody bigger and stronger put that turtle up there, right? Kind of a dangerous place for a turtle to be, too, by the way. Uh, People walk in my office and I have this big office, you know, and I have meetings in my office with several people and. They walk in and they look at it. Oh, Pastor, I'll get your office. Woo. And I say, it's bigger than I deserve. Because it is. And it's not my office. I say that too. It's not mine. It, it's God's. I'm just stewarding something that belongs to him. Pastor, you're growing a great church. No, I'm not. God's building a church. It's his church. You know, we take this posture of humility and people come and they say, Pastor, you must be so proud of your kids. And I am. They're incredible. My middle son, Sam, he's graduating high school today, Westside High School. Congratulations to all graduates. You know, and I'm very proud of my kids, but I always tell people, you know what? They're a result of the grace and the goodness of God more than my good parenting skills. It's just the truth. That's not false humility. Come on. If you know me, say amen. You know what I'm saying? My wife's hollering over here, you know. (laughs) You know? 
The Apostle Paul took this posture of humility. He said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. And the grace of God is powerful. It was not without effect in my life. Moses wrote the first four books of the the Old Testament. He spoke to God as a man speaks to another man face to face. And he wrote about himself. I am the most humble man on the face of the earth. How in the world does a guy say that? Listen, when you met God, when you meet the holiness and the awesomeness and the splendor of God, the one who spoke the stars into existence, what are you going to say about yourself? You, you, what are you going to say? I am worthy for you to come to me. No, you're going to say, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. Only you are worthy. You are all powerful. You are all authority. Just say the word. No begging, no pleading, no manipulating God here, church. Faith doesn't manipulate God. We don't fast to get God's attention. We fast to give our attention to God. Say, God, is there something in my life that I need to repent of? That's hindering me from growing and moving forward. See, if we want God to move, we have to move first. And we have to move towards humility and move towards faith. And that's what gets God's attention. The centurion said, just say the word. Just say the word. He didn't say, hey, you know, I've been praying and fasting for weeks for my son to be or for my slave to be healed. You know, he just said, just say the word. How many of you know when Jesus healed people and delivered people and raised the dead? He just said the word. You know, when I was um, a teenager in in our youth ministry back in Michigan, uh, there was a young man who had leukemia in our youth group and. Um, he was dying. They did everything they could. And they, they said, there's nothing else we can do. And so the church went to fasting and to praying. And, and we had this all night fasting and prayer vigil for this young man. And um, by the end of that night, we were all convinced God has to heal this man, this young boy. God has to do it. I mean, we prayed and we pushed and we fasted and we get and we pleaded with God and all this. And guess what happened? You know what happened? This young man died. This young man died. And we were all just like, God, what are you doing? You, you owe us. We fasted and we prayed. You know, we begged and we pleaded and we, we quoted scripture. And we said, we're your sons and daughters. And you said in your words, so you better do it. That's not faith. That's manipulation. That's like worshiping a false god. It's like the false prophets that Elijah took on. And, and they're out slashing their bodies and, and beating themselves and all of this self-flagellation and, and trying to get God's attention. And this man says, I don't need to do that. Just say the word. That's faith. How many of you know when you have genuine faith, you don't need a week. We don't need to just, you know, pray for weeks and weeks for something. Now, I understand pressing through, but most of that's just to get the junk out of our life, not to not to get God's attention. It's the it's to clean our own house, to clean what's going on, see if there's any sin in our life. See if there be any wicked way in me. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at this man. And he said, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. I have not found so great a faith in all. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this guy gets it. He gets the sermon I just preached. 
He gets the kingdom. He understands how the kingdom moves and how the kingdom operates and how I am moved to act. This man gets it. He understands it's, it's, it's this humility and it's this faith that moves the kingdom, that moves me. If you want to get my attention, humble yourself under my authority. And we're going to do that here in a little bit. In verse 10, the Bible says, And when those that had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. They found the servant well. Jesus didn't even go to this man's house, didn't lay hands on this 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 slave, nothing like that. He just he doesn't even say that he spoke the word. The man said, speak the word. We don't even know if Jesus even spoke it. He was just like, wow, that's faith. And the servants go back and they find this man totally well. God, forgive us of our manipulation. Forgive us for, for throwing out our, our works, for throwing out our titles, for trying to you know, handcuff you with your own scripture that you inspire. I mean, you know, we do things like that. God, you said, so you better. That's not my God. That is not God. God is all authority. God is all all powerful. And we do what this centurion said. He said, you know what? He said, I am not worthy. Posture of humility. I am not worthy. You are worthy. You are all authority. Just say the word. See, this man was a man under authority himself. He understood that he didn't represent himself. He represented Rome. Just like Jesus came, he didn't represent himself. He represented another kingdom. This man said, I get it. I get it. You represent this other kingdom and this kingdom is powerful. I've heard about this kingdom. I've heard about what you've done. I've heard about how you've healed people. I've heard about the kind of people you eat with. I recognize you're a man with authority. Just say the word. Just say the word. And now we're going to move to the next story here. And I love this part. Uh, This really helps us to see that there's something else that that moves God as well. Not only does humility and faith move him, um, but something else moves him. And he runs into this this funeral procession in a, a place called Nain, which is about 25 miles southwest of the city of Capernaum. So it's a day's journey. Can you imagine walking 25 miles in one day? Uh, Jesus did it and he made it the next day to Nain. And the Bible says this in Luke chapter 7, verse number 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother And she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when he saw her, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the buyer, which is a board that the body was laid on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Sometimes God is moved because of our humility and our faith. And other times God is just moved because of his compassion. Because of his compassion. And I think what Luke is helping us to understand here is is there's no formula to getting God to move. Because you can't put a formula on God. You, you can't put God in a box and you can't say, well, if you do this and you do this, then God will do this. 
Because if that's the case, then he's not God. That, that, that means you're God. Because you can control things and you can, well, if I do this, this and this, then God has to do this. No, God is God. He doesn't have to do anything. And here we have a man. First of all, we have a man who humbles himself and has faith and God responds. And then we have a woman who asked for nothing. And God responds simply because of who he is, because he's a good God and he's a compassionate God. I want you to imagine with me. A large funeral procession coming out of the city. And here it's out of the city of Nain. And there's a dead man who is the central figure of this funeral procession. But here comes another large procession. And the Bible says out of the city of Capernaum. And Jesus is the central figure. So here you have Jesus leading this procession. You have a dead man leading this procession. And they come together and they collide. You have these two processions that collide. Life and death, head-on collision. In our day, here in Omaha, Nebraska, you defer to a funeral procession. You pull over to the side of the road. You stop and you allow the funeral procession to go on. And we do that. Um, the living honor the dead. But here Jesus stops the funeral procession and the dead honor the living. And when the Lord saw her, the Bible says that he had compassion on her. He had compassion. Somebody once said that compassion is this. It's your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. Jesus had compassion on her. He felt what she was feeling and he did something about it. How many know there's a difference between sympathy and compassion? Sympathy says, I'm so sorry. Right? Compassion says, your pain in my heart. Let's do something about this. And he says this to the woman. He says, he says to this woman who just lost her son, do not weep. Now, isn't that a strange thing to say to a mother who's grieving over a dead son? Can you imagine walking up to a young mother with her son at a funeral and say, don't cry. No crying at the funeral. Right. Don't do that. That's what Jesus does here. Right. I mean, she may not even know who this man is just walking up to her saying, don't weep. What, what are you talking about? Why are you being so culturally insensitive in that day that, that they encouraged weeping? In fact, they hired weepers. They hired professional mourners who would who would be part of this procession and they would wail and cry and play the flutes and they would do all this and sing funeral dirges. Why? Because they wanted to give the family per permission to mourn. It's a good thing. The Bible says to weep with those who weep. But here we have Jesus saying, do not weep. That just seems so backwards. And then he says, he says, young man, he says, get up, get up. And the young man, he sits up from the board he's laying on and he begins to talk. I'd like to know what he said. I'd like to know what he said. Luke doesn't say what he said, but I think I know what he said. I think he said, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? Because that's what every young man says, right? When they get up, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? I don't know. I could be wrong. And here's what's amazing. Jesus takes this, this young man and, and he gives him back to his mother. No strings attached. He doesn't say, yeah, now you see what I've done for you? Now here's what you need to do for me. You know, I want you to be a missionary now. You know, 
I gave you your son back. I gave you your life back. I want you to serve me. No, no strings attached from Jesus. He just simply gives this grieving mother her son back. He doesn't say to her, oh, woman, because of your great faith, your son is alive now. Because you called on me to come, your son is alive now. None of that. This young man is raised from the dead, not because of humility, not because of faith, because of the compassion of God. You might be here today and there's something dead and dying in your life and you have no humility and you have no faith to muster up. You're just you're just in this funeral procession and everything in life is dying around you. And I want you to know that Jesus sees your situation. He sees the procession you are in and he has compassion on you today. He's got compassion. You would be so empty. I have absolutely no faith for God to deliver me from this dying situation. I'm so glad that sometimes God just steps in without our help. Amen. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to resurrect your situation. I'm going to intervene. This poor woman, she needs she needs some compassion today. This woman's hope is gone. The death is so raw. There's a good chance that this young man died that morning. As, as Jewish culture is, is when uh, somebody dies, they wash the body, they anoint the body, and they bury the body that very same day. So this boy may have died that very morning, and she is still trying to get her head around that. Um, the Bible says that she is a widow, so she, is, uh, she has been through this process of death before. She's lost her life's partner. We're not told how. All she has left is this son, and now he's gone. No social security in that day. Uh, no Medicare in that day. Her son was her only hope for her very own future. Um, the Jews understood that to honor your father and your mother, it extended beyond the age of 19 years of age. And they were told that when your parents are old and when they need to be fed and when they need to be changed and they need to be cared for, you, the child, are the one to care for your mom. And so she had lost it all that morning. She had no future left, no Social Security or Medicare, no retirement, no hopes for a wedding, no hopes for grandchildren. It all went away. She had no idea how her life would be provided for moving on. All hope is gone. And can I tell you this morning that no one dies without affecting other people's lives. This young man died and he affected his mom's life in such a profound way. But no one, the truth is, no one in this room dies here without affecting somebody else's life. My son Sam has a a friend at school who recently ended his life. And they... uh, before the, the funeral, they had a, a memorial gathering for students, and it was at um, Memorial Park. Hundreds of students came up to remember their friend, and his car was parked up there, and his music was playing, blasting through his stereo. And his car was kind of his little safe haven. He spent a lot of time in that car listening to his music. So many of the students uh, took turns to sit in his seat in that car and and sit where he sat many times and listen to the music that he listened to. Uh, and there was a lot of crying. It was a devastating thing that had happened. No one dies without affecting other people's lives. You might be here today and I don't know what state of mind you are in. But you might be thinking, you know what? Um, 
If I die or if I take my life, no one will miss me. No one will care. And I want you to know this morning, that is not true. You are loved. You will be missed. Your death would be devastating to so many, many people. And you need to know today, don't do it. Because your life matters to God and your life matters to people around you and you will be deeply missed. Another student at Westside High School this year confided in a teacher and actually uh, told about it later, but went to a teacher and said, "Um, I'm having a really bad day. I need to talk. And this teacher took some time to listen. And this this young lady began to explain how um, she was going to take her life. And this teacher said, it would devastate me if you ended your life. It would be devastating to me. And he was being sincere uh, and honest. I reached out to her and, and she walked away from that conversation and thought about it. And later on, she came to him and she said to him, she said, you know, I want you to know you literally saved my life that day. Because I didn't think my life mattered. I didn't think my life would affect anybody if it was gone. You literally saved my life that day. How many of you know there's life and there's death in the power of the tongue? You have the same authority that Jesus has. He passed it on to you. In Matthew 28, he said this. He said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them, teach them, heal them. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. You have the same power and the same authority that Jesus exercised that day to that dying slave and that dead son. You have the same authority. And most of the time, it's just simply coming out of your mouth. Just say the word. This high school teacher, I don't know that he knows God or not, but he knows there's death and life in the power of the tongue. We have the opportunity every day to resurrect dying situations, people who are contemplating suicide, people who are are just so lost and so discouraged. Man, you can breathe. You can breathe life into that situation. You can say, stop weeping. Get up. Some of you today are going to have have a head-on collision with life this morning. You're going to have a head-on collision with life this morning. Some of you, you, you're, you feel like your life is a funeral procession. Everything around you seems to be dying. It just it, Everything around you has just got the marks of death on it. And you are in this place and you don't know how to get out of this place. And some of you, are, you you're, you're depressed. Some of you are suicidal. And for some of you, it's just other things. It's not like your own life, but there's just, it seems like relationships. You're, all these things around you are death and they're dying. And it feels like a funeral procession. I just believe this morning, as I was praying, I just know that, that God wants to have a head-on collision with this death thing this morning. The Bible says that he who has the Son has life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. And so if you're here this morning and you feel like everything around you is dying and you need an encounter with life, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you're at because we're going to pray together and we're going to worship God together. Just stand to your feet right where you're at. Just like Jesus said those words, get up. 
asking you to get up right now. And we're going to declare life over your situation. We're going to declare life over your body, over your relationships, over what's going on. Now, I asked a question earlier, and I said, if you could ask God for one thing, Jesus for one thing, what would that one thing be? And if you have something in your heart, you know what that one thing would be. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for somebody who's sick and dying. You know. But if you know what that one thing is, and you want to humble yourself like the centurion this morning, and say, God, I'm not worthy for you to come to me. I'm not worthy of you to answer this. But I understand who you are. I understand that you are all powerful, and you have the authority. So Jesus, would you say the word, and would you answer this prayer? And would you do it for the glory of your name? Verse number 16. And if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. Verse number 16 says this. After the young man got up, fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. Can I just say God's going to do that right now? God wants to visit his people right here, right now. And this report about him, it spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. God, may it be, God, would you make a name for yourself here this morning? God, I thank you that sometimes you're moved by our humility and our faith. And sometimes you just, you're just a compassionate God. God, we may not have any faith in you, any crying out to you and God, but you see our tears. You see the death going on in our lives. And God, you respond and you heal and you raise the dead. Why? It's so that your fame, God, would be spread throughout the earth. So God, I pray that you would raise the dead here right now this morning. I speak life to every dying and dead situation here this morning in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of death in Jesus' name in this place. We invite you, Jesus, to bring life right now. Just say the word. Just say the word right now. God, you are worthy. You are worthy. Let's sing this chorus together. Lift your hands, would you? Lift your hands and let's just let him know he is worthy. He's worthy of it all. you